0: Peter has made Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of life. Thank you for our physical lives, thank you for the families that we have, thank you for the church that we have, the country we live in. Um Many, many blessings that we have, that we often take for granted. Thank you for each of these. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Um, the Christmas season is is uh, just a healthy reminder to us of how much we need uh, the incarnation. Um, and Lord, help our hearts to be full, uh, particularly as we think of the the sermon this morning and tonight. May our hearts be directed to the beauty of the gospel in the incarnation. Uh, but Lord, help us even as we study the book of Corinthians. It's, um, it's challenging, but it's also beautiful, and I just thank you for it, and I pray that you might help uh, uh, those who are here today to, to receive the Word of God, and to store it up in their hearts, and to apply it to their hearts, we might um, we might surrender ourselves to you. We might um, understand how good and beautiful you are. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> All right, so we're in one Corinthians ten. We're at verse twenty three. Um, really has been an extended discussion. Uh, about idolatry. And I know this is kind of on angle here, and you might not be able to see it with the sun shining through. But Paul is really weaving uh, multiple ideas together, and it's really easy to kind of miss the big picture. Um, so, Paul is going to make a distinction between the activity of idolatry, so the actual action of false worship it could be formal false worship in our lives we don't necessarily have formal false worship that we're dealing with but we all know that we have the idols that we struggle with in our hearts and so idolatry is something Paul is opposed to he's adamantly opposed to it he doesn't want people to be engaged in idolatry those sorts of things and he actually will say things like in the action of idolatry you are participating with demons and and I I'm not I'm going to stretch that a little bit and, and even go so far as saying every time that you sin, in some way you're either accepting the lies of Satan, you're, you know, you're, you're being deceived. Somehow there's there's um, demonic activity as we sin. So, so he, Paul's opposed to that. You're opposed to sin, you're opposed to idolatry, Paul's opposed to it. But then at the same time, he's going to talk about the elements of idolatry. The actual, in this case, it was the actual meat offered right and we talked about how that meat would go into the marketplace or you might just be at a meal in somebody's home and and so he basically says the the elements of idolatry are nothing and we're going to try to apply that here in a little bit to our situations today but um the elements of idolatry paul is not concerned with he it doesn't matter to him they're nothing they're they're empty you know who cares so um Important. He's actually been talking. Last week, we did a lot of talk about the sacraments and and how um, even our view of the sacraments are are very similar, right? The the action of partaking in a sacrament, uh, you're participating with God. You're participating with Christ. Um, the elements themselves are nothing. Like they're just they're just elements, you know. So uh, so that's that same kind of distinction. You may not have uh, may not remember, but. Paul is deeply concerned with the conscience of other believers. So even though he's he's making these like truth statements, um, he like almost it's very confusing as you read it. He's he's basically saying, yeah, but if somebody else is is not, how do I want to say this? It, they may intellectually accept these things but in their hearts they, they they just it doesn't feel right to them in their gut they 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 just think I can't ever touch any meat that's offered to any idol at any time because that would you know Paul's he's teaching these truths but he says if you find somebody that's in that position you should not try to force them to partake of the meat even though you know the truth. He's like you got to be you got to be gentle with their conscience which is, I think, uh, where we kind of are today. So we're in um, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Uh, Do we have a a microphone there we can pass around? Um, I guess we should just go ahead and read 23 through Um, 11.1. Jessica, you want to read? Okay, so... 23 chapter 10:23 and then just read just read be imitators of me as I am of Christ in chapter 11 that's what we're finishing with. 10,
1: yeah.
2: To verse 1? Yeah. All things are lawful but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ.
0: Okay. So this, just to let you know how long this argument has been going on. I mean, Paul's been looking at it in different angles. The the statement, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, he makes back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. So he's been, this is an extended argument that he's he's working on. And and this whole discussion is Paul working out the freedom that he has in Christ. That's, That's what he's dealing with. But he's also trying to understand the issues in the church. So, how should we use our freedom in Christ? Well, I'm going to give you three ways. We should use our freedom in Christ in ways that are helpful for our sanctification. Um, That's first. Secondly, we should use our freedom in Christ in ways that build others up in Christ. Um. And we should uh, use our freedom in Christ to seek the welfare of our neighbor. Now, when Paul says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, he's quoting an Old Testament psalm. You guys have, maybe in your Bibles, you might have a little note that tells you, maybe you've written it on the side somewhere. What psalm is he talking about? Uh, Verse 26. 6 The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof Psalm 24 That's right. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place He who has clean hands and and a pure heart. Now, Paul would interpret this as, well, that's me in Christ, right? Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. He's not engaging in false worship. Does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God, of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So obviously, uh, everything belongs to God. Everything on the earth is His. And ultimately, who is the King of glory? On Christmas, we all know this, right? Jesus, right? He is this King of glory, um, so when he says to do all things to the glory of God, um, and it's you know, everything belongs to Jesus, the, the freedom that we have in Christ, he says do all things to the glory of God. Based on verses 23 through 25, what, what is the immediate context of doing all things to the glory of God? How would you apply that? This, is, this will require a little bit of thoughtfulness on your part. How would you define doing all things to the glory of God? Because it may not be what normally comes to our mind when we hear that phrase. Love your neighbor. Right. Right? Is that what comes to your mind? Do all things to the glory of God sacrifice yourself, interest and love your neighbor. Is that what comes to your mind when you hear, do all things to the glory of God? <laughs> Not usually. So you can see how the context helps us in this, right? Paul says to do all things to the glory of God is to think about others. It is to move beyond yourself. There could be other applications to do all things to the glory of God, right? Give thanks, live out your freedom. You know, all, there's you know, all these kind of things you can do. But let's just not, hopefully it will not, you'll not hear those words and you won't think, of what, what will be absent, hopefully this will not be true, what will be absent is the thought that I have to give up my rights in order to love other people. That's what it means to do all things to the glory of God. That's right. Yes, and well and Paul teaches this in Philippians two, famous passage, right? Have this attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus, who all being the very nature of God did not consider equality of God something to be grasped, but gave himself up, making himself a servant. That's what it means to do all things for the glory of God. Now, uh, I'm trying to... Do you remember way back when there was a person who was living in open rebellion to God and the church had excommunicated him? They said, don't even eat with them. I just I want to balance that with what he says here in verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you. So here, there's this idea of someone who is um, uh, excommunicated. It's actually a stronger uh, concern to not just enter into uh, intimate fellowship with them. But with an unbeliever, yeah, like you get invited to dinner, go. Yeah, it's really kind of an interesting uh, difference there. Does the, uh, does the believer have to go? Nah, if you're inclined to, you know, if you're inclined to go, go. Don't And don't be overly concerned about things. Enjoy the dinner. Uh, Jesus modeled this very well. In his own day, right, he didn't have trouble eating with tax collectors and sinners, right? Uh, sometimes that's twisted into Jesus didn't care that they were tax collectors and sinners, like he didn't call them to repentance, and that's, that's not true. But he did go to them, right? Um, so I write, while it is important to ask whether or not you might be tempted to engage in some sinful activity... Anytime you go to be with unbelievers, you might think, you know, I don't, I don't want to, therefore, engage in sin when I go. That would be the practice of idolatry, which Paul would be opposed, and he wouldn't want you to do that. But at the same time, actually being with them is not something that you should be concerned about. Uh, so, now I would say that this is the only way that sinners are saved. That. You, Christians go to them. (laughs) They actually try to be with them. (laughs) They try to interact with them. They're in an incarnational way, not the incarnation, but in an incarnational way. They are uh, belonging to Christ, seated with God in the heavens, but they are continuing to go to those who are lost. That's what we have to do as Christians. We have to have that kind of connection. Uh, And so I think that uh, when we do that, we're actually displaying a Christ-like attitude. It didn't, I don't even know if we do this anymore, but when I was in college, you could count on walking across campus, someone uh, standing up preaching like fire and brimstone and just, you know, has anybody experienced that before? Just uh, preachers? Say, okay, yeah. And that always bothered me because, that, you know, they were saying a lot of the right things, but they weren't necessarily going to the people. And I and it was just always a, a, a challenge. Jesus didn't have trouble calling people to repentance. John the Baptist did that as well. Um but at the same time, he ate with tax collectors and sinners. So, um, again, I would say that doing all things to the glory of God is going to people. Uh, reaching out to those who are lost. Um, so, then in verse 28, we get the dilemma. He's going back to the, back to the scruples of other people, right? Right? Uh, if someone says to you, and I, I think this is interesting. He says, "Someone, who's the someone? Who is this someone?" And just take guesses if you want. Who Who is this someone? One of the unbelievers that's been in, that in the It could It could be an unbeliever, right? It could be, uh, and the unbeliever might be looking at you and say, "Hey." This is a believer, and he's eating food that was sacrificed to idols. So, I mean, he might be concerned about this. Other options? Like another believer could be a new believer, someone who just doesn't understand. It seems crazy that a new believer who is really concerned about this would be actually in that setting. Like, would they have even gone to the dinner in the first place? Or, you know, is it a guy who's a new believer who's at the dinner, or is he just someone that maybe hears that you're going to the dinner? I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to know exactly who this is. And I think Paul probably is leaving it relatively vague for a purpose. Uh. Yeah? I have read this. That's what I, I think of. I think this is a, a more maybe legalistic believer. who struggles with a lot of rules. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, legalism, um, probably not present at the dinner is maybe a possibility, but maybe heard you're going to the dinner, and and, I can't believe you're doing that, kind of like the Pharisees do. They don't want to be with the tax collectors and sinners, but they accuse Jesus of that kind of thing. But it's interesting in that example, Jesus doesn't quit meeting with the tax collectors and sinners, right? So in this situation, he's kind of telling them, care about the scruples of these other people. It's a, it's a very challenging uh, passage. I don't know exactly who this someone is. Um, it, it could be, so it could be a new believer, uh, uh Who's a disciple? Um, it it's just interesting. Like, if you're your disciple, you you'd kind of be going through all the teaching that Paul's doing here, trying to teach them and instruct them. Uh, this is okay for me to do, or whatever. Um, could be, yeah. I think that's very possible. Um, More like in the, during the it does seem. Might even have been the host. Yeah, right. Could have been the host that brought it up. Mm-hmm. Well, we're supposed to set an example. Something's put putting your face like that. You have to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you, a lot of times we think taking the stand would be to say I have a right to do this. What's strange is that Paul's saying, yeah, you might have that right, but you know, you're actually bowing your right to the conscience of this other person. Now. Before I try, we're going to try to apply this in, in our situations and settings, and it always gets a little challenging because I don't know that we get it exactly right. But, um, but one thing I think is really important, and, and we don't always do this um, when we're looking at passages of Scripture. But I'm telling you, the more that you do this, the more that the Scriptures will come alive to you. So, we get so bogged down in the detail of trying to understand exactly what that situation is and exactly how to apply that situation that I think we miss that this passage tells us something about God. What does it tell you about God? That's good, that must have been a good question because everyone was silent. Did you just, Danny said, God cares about the faith of weak believers. Uh, The thought that comes to my mind right now is James. Turn over to James real quick. Not in my notes, but it, it just struck me. James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. How often do you think, you know, God is this all-knowing, all-seeing God, and he he must be, like, absolutely upset at you because you're Your progress is not nearly as good as it should have been. You're slow to learn. You're weak. You're just. And he's up there going, man, I am so frustrated with Peter. And and I just think that misses the point. If you are a weak believer, God is gentle and kind with you. Um, Usually the ones that he's harsh with are the ones who are arrogant and think that they're much better than they are, right? That's the ones he gets harsh with. So here we have, um, I think, this, this. to me it speaks volumes about the beauty of my God. I do place myself under expectations because of my pride that are just wrong. If, I'm, if I fail, if I'm weak, if I don't quite get it all right... I haven't somehow lost God's favor of me. And aren't you glad of that? <clears throat> now, so there's something about God that he is patient and kind in acquiescing to the scruples of a weak believer, maybe even an unbeliever, um, but you don't want to, remember, I talk about tensions all the time. And you don't want to go down this road of what I just said. I'll write I, it, but just like uh, um, the scruples of another person. That, that matter, the weakness. You don't want to go down this road so much that you become a slave Other scruples. So that's what Paul goes to next, right? He says um, in verses 28 and 29 um, if someone says to you this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat of it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And then he's like, I don't want you to go this far. I do not mean your conscience but his. So Paul doesn't want your conscience to be enslaved to someone else's ideas. We have a whole chapter in the Confession of Faith called the Liberty of Conscience. Basically says that I am not allowed to bind another person's conscience. Jesus alone is the Lord of the conscience, not any other person. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, yes, you can... You can, in love, because of the character of God that is seeking the good of others, you can actually give up your rights and do, do something that you wouldn't normally do or don't do something that you would do. But don't you dare let someone bind your conscience. Be bound by the Word of God alone. So he says, Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience.
3: <clears throat>
0: mm-hmm. Not because you're, not fear, right? This is, this is an act of love. It's not an act of fear. You're, you know, it's not even giving up truth. It might feel like you're giving up truth. Right? Because standing on truth would be like, yes, this is right. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I'm allowed to do. And he says, no, that's not really displaying God's character. But he, at the same time, doesn't want you to give up truth, right? Your conscience is your conscience before God. It should be bound by Christ alone. Well, that's what we're going to try to, I'm going to try to do this here in, um, so, and like I say, I'm I'm very hesitant as I talk about these things because I'm not sure that I get all this absolutely right, but here, let me try to give you. At least scenarios that have caused me to think about these things. So, we live in a global economy, right? The clothes that you wear, that you have on right now, were not made down the street, were they? Some of them in China. The cars that you drive have been put together in foreign countries. The food that you eat has been grown all over the world. The fact of this, you don't know who made them. You don't know the scenarios that they were made in, do you? Someone then comes to you and says, do you know that, There it could be many scenarios, we usually say in our day things of moral sin. Oh, that product was made because someone was oppressing someone else. Right? But what if they just told you that product was made by a, worshiper of Satan, right? Uh, The question is, you don't always know. And the other question is, do you need to know, right? Um, Is it not true, well, I would say, does it matter that the same company who makes your child's diapers also encourages abortions? Challenging, isn't it? Um, When you put on the diaper, are you killing another baby? See, that's the argument. If you eat this food, are you encouraging the worship of idols? And I think we're dealing with gray areas here. I think in some situations, I do not live my life trying to figure out where every product that I'm using was made or how it was used. I, I mean, it's almost overwhelming to try to figure that out. But I could also imagine, and I'm going to use an example of the Super Bowl. Uh, I like football. I don't watch a whole lot of it, but I do like it, and I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. If they ever made it to the Super Bowl, I'd probably watch the Super Bowl. Uh but I've heard that surrounding the Super Bowl are some of the greatest prostitution, sex trafficking, uh, evil of idolatry that occurs in the in our country. Period. Right, and there are some of uh, some believers who would say, "I want nothing, nothing to do with the NFL for that reason." Huh. There you go. There you go. There's one right there. Uh, I think as you deal with your convictions and someone else's convictions, there needs to be compassion. There needs to be tenderness. There needs to be working out your conviction. These are hard things. I don't know. I certainly don't want to actually participate in evil Right, and I want to oppose the evil. Um, These are these are just this are the convictions that we're trying to live with, and I'm guessing that in the church, these kind of things come up all the time. I can't believe you're doing that. I can't believe you're doing this. You know, we got challenged on this in the whole COVID time, right? I mean, it was you know the scruples of one against another. I mean, it was just like. Very divisive. I think Paul's attitude is what helps us work through these. Have your convictions. Try to, try to even tell other people why you do the things that you do. Don't be bound by somebody else's convictions. Develop yours by the word of God. So, but at the same time, be compassionate and kind and gracious and thinking about the faith of the people around you. So, Melissa, I don't know if that answers your question, but these are these. So, you're, he's in food offered idols, but really, these are these constantly are things that the church is dealing with on a regular basis. So, thoughts or questions on this before we we move on, because I think that this is uh, definitely challenging. Yes, uh, yeah, wait till the microphone's coming. Okay, well, go ahead, keep talking. We'll, I'll try to repeat it. Go ahead.
1: Mhm.
0: Perfect. That's a great example. Yes. There you go. There's a great example. And and does does Jesus Christ claim lordship over cell phones? Yes, he does. But is, this, is there terrible evil that is promoted and in, uh, that's worked out through the cell phone? Yes. And it's right there. I hate the fact that you're, every time you get on the cell phone, you feel like you're just one click away from evil at any time. So go ahead, Peter. That's an excellent example. I just want to jump ahead of that. There was a time that we cared about it. And you remember Nike... It came out that Nike was using children to make their shoes. Mm-hmm. There was a big uproar. All of a sudden, Michael Jordan was mm-hmm. up hiding out. Dean Smith was
3: quiet. Mm-hmm.
0: And somehow that went away, and we turned the corner. Now nobody asks any questions, unless it's unless it has anything to do with racism. <laughs> That's the one we still care about. So it's just um, yes, this it gets confusing, guys. I, I honestly don't have all of the solutions to every situation of how you're going to live your life. I'm not sure that the answer is to go back and be an Amish community that doesn't have any connection with the world that we make our own clothes. I don't that's not what God wants us to do. So we have to somehow figure out how do we live? I believe that Christian owning his own business is probably more dealing with these issues than than me who's not in the world dealing with a a business in the world and how do you balance those things it's it's challenge uh to figure this out what's right what's not right so other thoughts and questions thank you for the cell phone yeah that's right and, and Paul would be adamant that you should develop your conscience based on God's Word, and you should never uh, uh, personally engage yourself in sin and idolatry. So, I mean, he, that that action of idolatry we should not be engaged in. The question is now the elements, right? I mean, um, the, uh, the means of the world. You have to live in this world, you know? It's just so... That's the that's the challenge. And then you got the scruples of others as well. And how do you deal with all three of those? Yes. Elijah Ken. The yeah, oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I had never even thought of that. I never that's really good. Thank you, Ken. Do you guys so the um Elijah was supported by the ravens who are unclean animals. That's interesting. Uh okay, and again. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've thought about like my stance has been to over the years to deeply support the pregnancy care center. I don't think it's been wrong for others who pr- protest abortions. It's not necessarily been the path that I've chosen, but it, and I respect believers who are doing that. Um, but my path has been to more support the moms who are caught up in the abortion. So, uh, Danny, did you have a comment? No. Oh. Oh. Okay. Good. Um, other comments? Anybody? This is this is fun discussion. This is where it gets hard to figure these things out. Well Go ahead, Kyle. First. Hmm. But yet, yeah, we have to figure
4: out how to navigate it, and that itself is a tension.
0: Yes. So, not we are not of the world, but we are in the world, and that's that's a part of this, right? Yes. Someone's baiting that issue.
3: to be careful in your response not to take it too far and get over on their side of the, of the of an argument that they have brought up only because
0: Yeah, so some, it it could be, and that goes back to who is this someone and what are their motives. It could be that someone's just trying to bait you, but I think Paul's trying to deal with a weaker believer who actually is concerned about these things. But yeah, yeah. It, I, t- I tend to think if someone's trying to bait Paul, he probably would have fought him. <laughs> just knowing Paul, you know, you, you want to pick an argument with me, I'll fight you. I mean, he stood up to Peter uh, in Galatians, so I mean, he's not afraid to do that. Uh, but I think here he's, he's just so concerned for the faith that, that is either maybe an unbeliever just coming to faith or a, a new believer who is, who is struggling in the faith. He doesn't want to discourage that person. Uh, is what he's concerned about. Yeah. I've
3: experienced someone showing kindness to me. I was, uh, when I lived in Tulsa, I was fresh out of high school, and uh, I was just started dating this girl, and they had me over mm-hmm. for dinner, and her father, drank, they had a glass of wine at the meal. Mm-hmm. And uh, he asked me, he said, you know, would it offend your conscience if we had a glass of I said, well, you know, I didn't partake, but I said, no, well, not all. Because he was considering me. He was being kind and... Okay, conc- yeah. I, I really respected that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought it would have offended my conscience, but just the fact that he would even consider that it, mm-hmm. it was important to him. You have shown me love. Yes.
2: i a church <clears> that had a lot of legalism. hmm I remember, um, and I went to a Christian high school, and I remember us dealing with this passage, and I remember, be, and of course I was young and a young believer, being really, I don't know, I, I guess because I thought of this in terms of people who had really legalistic views and and I didn't like i didn't like it. I, I thought, well, why should I have to, if I know that that's not a, an issue or I don't think that's an issue, why am I going to do this? And as I've grown as a believer, like I have seen that at the heart of this is really humility <laughs> on the part of someone that maybe maybe I don't have an issue but humility is going to change my heart to want to to you know say hey is this going to offend you and and to not make it into something that it doesn't have to be or to become condescending because I think on either end of this tension can be the temptation to be condescending about well I hold this high value or this isn't a big deal for me on either end and then it it starts leaning towards being a, a works issue. Either you know I'm I'm so free from this, or either I hold such a high value. Um, I, yeah, there's we have to live in that tension. It would be much easier if it was if it was clear in all circumstances. Um, and and in the world we live in, like you said, like there's no end to these these mm-hmm. issues, and we will chase our tail. Whereas if we choose to be humble about things, which is hard, and I <laughs> do imperfectly. Um, we will have to exist in this in this tension and mm-hmm. do the hard work of being gracious with one another. That mm. that's harder than just digging our heels in on something.
0: That's excellent, and I think the key. I mean, humility. I mean, and and how hard is it for us to have true humility? Um, yeah, uh, the thing that came to my mind. Uh, let's see. Well, let me. I'll hear, listen to your comment first. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: um, I just thought of like the internet and um, sometimes like a celebrity or somebody who's kind of in the spotlight will come to faith or allegedly come to faith. There will be all sorts of debate online, but there's not a lot of graciousness for the transition. Mm. And I know I came out of New Age, and there's people at our church who came out of like a very you know just a cold or secular life and um just just for us to be gracious that we've been in the church for a while we've been just sort of more comfortable with the christian life and all the fruits of the spirit and stuff but somebody coming out of the world we we should be gracious um mm. for their transition and however long it takes so that's, that's really
0: really really nicely said um uh. was talking with a uh, uh someone counseling and and uh there was really quickly um a potential to have debate over this issue or this issue or this issue or this issue, or this issue. and um and i could see that this was not going to go anywhere <laughs> quick and and i basically said you know uh christians have to wrestle over many years Looking at the scriptures, looking at their own life, to try to figure out is this behavior good or bad, or is this one good or bad? You know, you're you're struggling to figure these things out and live your life according to God's uh, word. But I said, but the the thing that I said pointed the thing that we need to figure out today (laughs) that matters more than anything else is is are you over God's word, or is God's word over you? And I said, really, the most important issue that you got to figure out is: do you want God to rule your life, or do you want God to conform to what you want Him to conform to? And I said, that's really the issue. We—that's the one we got to deal with. (laughs) And then from that, we can deal with all these other issues that are that are going on. And um, it's—it's just interesting that um, uh, I haven't always had that position. A lot of times, I think I just like I got to convinced of this one particular thing instead of getting at the real heart of the issue of who's in control uh, and who's Lord and um, so I was I think I'm learning on this too better how to approach these things so yeah yeah do you want to you take him the microphone oh just run it down there Christian You're, you, here it comes you talking about the Baltimore Ravens <laughs>
3: I I always kind of looked at Elisha and the fact that he never questioned the fact that they they supported him Mm. and I kind of look at that in the world today because we have an issue of common grace that God restrains evil in the world for a purpose and he does so you know you're talking about the cell phones from China and all those kind of things he's ruling even that element of those things and you know we as christians always have to sometimes we compromise sometimes uh in the case of elijah he didn't even i don't recall him ever saying oh gee should i do this or not or anything it was necessary for him in that respect so i I just there's you talk about tension Mm -hmm. and i see that in that element all the time because there is that common grace Things keep going. God keeps moving things along. He restrains evil, even the evil that we talk about, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. trafficking or drugs or whatever, for a purpose. And uh, I won't get into what the purpose is, but you understand.
0: Yeah. The providence of God, right? Yeah. So um, just piggybacking on this, uh, Paul could have said, okay, the Romans are the ones who killed Jesus. Therefore, all Christians should rise up and destroy the Romans. He actually encourages them to submit to the Roman government, you know, which is like crazy. Um, So, okay, we could keep going on this. Um, In verse 32, he says, give no offense uh, to the Jews, to the Greeks, to the church of God. Uh, I think he's, you know, um, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Uh, that they may be saved. So, so my, my overarching, most important purpose is to see people be saved uh, through faith in Christ. Uh, that matters to me more than anything else. Um, I know what I was going to say right before you spoke, and that is there was a time when I was growing up, I felt like uh, the, the church was here and the world was here. But I would say that uh, much of the church is running this way, which is bad. But the world now is here. Um, even if we've stood still, the distance between unbelievers and the church is greater than it was even when I was a kid in terms of their understanding of truth and the scriptures. And you know, and so we shouldn't expect a, um, a new believer who comes to be automatically right here. You know there is that process that you're talking about, and as Christians we should be okay with that, and we should we should be gentle and kind. And doesn't mean we won't share our convictions or disciple and those kind of things, but we're not going to just ah oh, you you think that way? I can't believe you think that way, you know. Uh, and actually we're doing more disservice to someone's faith, a new believer, if they do not feel comfortable in the weakness of their faith being among us. We'll die as a church if we're that way Um, because there are fewer and fewer people who are here. Most of the world is here. So Paul then says, and this is scary to me, hey, if you're confused about all this, just imitate me. (laughs) And I'm here to tell you, Wow. (laughs) I don't know if that's what I can say. (laughs) Uh, I try. You know, I aspire to be that kind of person. Um, I don't want to be a pushover. I don't want to be someone that doesn't care about the truth. Uh, But at the same time, I'm trying to aspire to be a person that, uh, you know, treats people with humility, I think is the main thing. Um, So... Isn't it amazing that Paul's not afraid to say, "Imitate me."
4: Hey, um, one thing that keeps com- coming back to mind is generosity. Mm. Um, I think uh, you know when when I say generosity, a lot of people might think of money and just uh, material things, but um, I feel like, like this past week specifically, you know, being thinking about uh, the time that I spent with people and especially those that are close to me, like my employees, a lot of times I feel like I, I try to love people and I am not loved back. And um, I try to invest time on them and teaching them things. And and even when they ask about godly things and why I am in, in the way that I am, you know, trying to be loving and kind, um, I think God has calls to be generous and whether it's with our time or money. And sometimes we pour money into people that we probably would say, like, okay, I don't need to be generous to this person, but God is is merciful, and I look at me when I was saved. You know, like, I would not be generous to myself at all. You know? And so I feel like we should be encouraged to be generous and whatever we have, you know, whether it's time or persistency on loving people and anyways.
0: That's excellent. Well said. Um, Paul's not saying that he's perfect. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's in process of trying to imitate Christ as well. Christ is the uh, the ultimate model. But why is it important to just look at someone who's maybe older than you in the faith, who's who's demonstrating the, the, this attitude, why is it important to have a human model? Why, do you think? Why not just say, follow Jesus? Don't
2: look at me, don't look. And, and then I realize that Scripture literally says that Paul is saying, Look at me. Yeah. You know, not that he's going to do it perfectly, not that any of us are, but we need those models in the faith to, to look at and to encourage us to continue in this race, to continue in this path that will not be easy, where there will be, there will be temptation, where we will fail. But to say, if the goal is Christ, look at someone who is doing that that's ahead of you or is next to you doing it as well. You know. That's great.
0: Other thoughts? Why do we need human models?
3: Just to inspire you to hang in there. It's so frustrating
0: when you stand and then when you see your mentor or whatever get up the next day and go forward again. I mean, that's inspiring. That so he so when you see, and I was just say that part of being an, a a model is is being willing enough and vulnerable enough to admit your failures, that you're not the Messiah, you're not the perfect one, but you're trying to look to Christ as well. We're trying to look to Christ together in this, I think is very helpful. Um, I always say that your failures will never turn somebody away from Christ. Your failures combined with pride will turn people away from Christ. (laughs) If you humbly admit your failures and you, and you continue to cling to Christ and strive towards the, the goal for which Christ has called you, uh, people get inspired by that because they know their own failures and they want to quit in the battle. And to have someone to say, no, don't, don't quit, keep going, keep going is. You get, you get surprised because you say, you too? Yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, other things. Yes, Ann?
1: Going with um, our way of eating, okay. Mm. That okay. Say you give up sugar, mm-hmm. okay, and then you- I have it, you it so far. I know you have. <laughs> <laughs> we, have <laughs> we have for months. <laughs> it's hard, but when you, but but when when, you know, I. You partake. Partake. <laughs> well, okay. Yes. It's nice to have someone who is in my corner saying, well, don't just quit and go back to the old way. Uh-huh. Stay the course, uh-huh. you know, and learn from, you know, your mistake or whatever. I mean, mm. you know, eating sugars every now and then is not a mistake, but, you know.
0: <laughs> not in my and mind. We need,
1: we need encouragement. I know I, you know, I, I have great encouragement from some of the ladies here at Faith, and, and I'm so thankful for that. I think that we, we all need that. Mhm. Um God created us to to be in relationship with you know with other people and to to be each other's cheerleaders, mm-hmm. you know.
0: The other the that's excellent. The other way um I think is what uh Melissa said earlier, can you give examples of that now? Because like we could say I follow Jesus, but Jesus even though he was dealing with the same types of issues didn't live in the world in which we live. And so to have somebody who's actually in the situation that you're in uh, is, is also very helpful, I think. Um,
1: Pastor Mike? Yeah. <clears throat> That's actually exactly what I was just going to say is, you know, me as a wife and a mom, um, I want to apply Jesus' life, his principles, the way he lived and to that, and for me to see wives and moms in this congregation, in my life, that are applying Jesus' hmm. Jesus characteristics in life to, in that realm, that's another reason why it's wonderful to have these people to look to you. Mm-hmm. It's
0: good. Okay, um, this is what we're going to do here. Um, we're basically going to stop here, but I want to, I want to uh, I read a little bit in the next section of Scripture in chapter 11. To just kind of whet your appetite, uh, Craig Blomberg uh, writes, "This passage is probably the most complex, controversial, and opaque of any text of comparable length in the New Testament." So, in chapter 11, and I would, what I I'm going to read it and just stop. I'm not going to make comment on it today. But I want you to, to remember that as we go next week, actually be two weeks, and try to start dealing with. Um, this passage uh in first corinthians 11 uh i think that we should maintain the demeanor and the attitude that paul had has just taught us in chapter 10 (laughs) as we go into chapter 11 so i'm just going to read this and we'll close with this um but just to get wet your appetite i encourage you to do some study on this you'll have two weeks to to study on it uh remember it is the word of god we can't just throw it out and say well that was you know you know it's it's a challenging passage um but I, I hope that we'll approach it with humility. So um, I'll just go ahead and read it to you. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory." For a hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, you can understand just about every line in that, in that section is the challenge. So pray for me over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to have to try to uh, go through this and work through it again in my mind. But we're going to, uh, uh, next week, Danny, who'd you get preaching or teaching next week? Clark will be up next week, so you can enjoy whatever he's going to teach you next week. Unless, Clark, you want to deal with this. <laughs> and then the next week, I'll come back and, and we'll deal with this passage. So, And I'm not saying that I have all the answers, but I have thought about it deeply over many years. So, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a gracious God. Thank you that your word is always true. Thank you that we can submit to you and to your word um, I pray that we would also be kind and gracious and humble as we uh, interact with other believers, that it would be said of us here at Faith Church that we, we love the truth, but we also love people. And we, we care about the truth, but we care about the truth of humility as well as just the, the truth of facts and doctrines. Help us, Lord, to be, uh, do all things for the glory of God. That that in our behavior, in our words, and our actions towards other people, that that we might um, express your character, help us to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen.